This is take three on just trying to get the introduction today here on Books and Grounds. Today we're going to be talking about what is an adventurer and what uh, is an adventurer. Uh, so today, and that was adventurer and adventure. I didn't enunciate that very well. I'm Heath, and as always, I'm here with my illustrious co-host, Jared. Hey, guys. Uh, and today we're talking about the writing of a man named William Sidney Porter. Uh, but he's more well known as O. Henry. O. Henry. O. Henry. So, what book are we talking about or short story we're talking about, Jared? The Green Door. The Green Door. Uh, by far one of the most interesting short stories I've ever read. And I actually stumbled on that a few years ago just looking through an old O. Henry book. Uh, do you want to give kind of a synopsis for what's going on in the story? Sure. Um, and this is the first time I've ever read this particular story. I've read some of his other stuff, um, but this is the first time. So this one's strange. It's not a typical short story. Um, and uh, the first part is kind of an explanation or a lecture to what O. Henry kind of believes is adventure or true adventure, as he calls it. Um, but after he does that, he kind of gives an example of what his lecture is on. Um, and it follows this guy who, um, goes to this street that has this guy handing out, um, cards or flyers. Um, and most of them are about, um, advertisement for a dentist. And, um, but every time he goes to get one, all it says is the green door. Um, he does this several times and every time he gets one, it says the green door and nothing else. And he looks at these other cards thrown on the ground and they say specifics about dentistry practice. It's just an advertisement. Um, but he goes on to figure out what is the green door? What is he meant to do with this sign that he gets from these cards? All right. So uh, we asked, what is an adventurer? I have sort of a definition. You have one as well. And I think we both probably took from his book. So what would you say first is the definition of an adventurer in the eyes of O. Henry? O. Henry's adventurer, the true adventurer, is somebody that almost leaves everything up to fate or destiny and who doesn't have a true aim or goal. Um, the true adventurer is just someone who follows adventure wherever he or her goes. Mm -hmm. I put uh, an adventurer is one who, guided by the coupled fates of romance and adventure, aimlessly goes forth without calculation to meet and greet the unknown. Uh, he even refers to adventure as the arch sprite who rarely needed to beckon twice for Rudolf Steiner, who was considered a true follower or disciple of adventure. Uh, yeah. And so that's what I, <laughs> I wrote. Um, then we have to ask some questions of this, and this is what I think the majority of our time is going to be spent on is, is O. Henry correct in his assessment of an adventurer? If so, why? And if not, why? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so what are your initial thoughts on O. Henry's view of an adventurer? I think it's, it's really interesting. Um, I think it, it, it plays along with a lot of things that we, we've grown up with um, as far as what is a true adventure. In, in a sense, I guess. I don't necessarily agree with everything that he says, but that adventure is always tied up with 
a romantic notion of everything. So if you're an adventurer and, and, you know, talk about people who travel all over the place or talk about people who do interesting things, it's always we have this ideal version or what we imagine of them to be, and it's always tied in with fate or destiny. They were meant to do something. Mm -hmm. And so this is where I might agree with O. Henry in saying that an adventurer is meant to do something, but it's always difficult to say exactly what that means. Yeah. Um, I think my issue with his idea of adventure is this idea of basically having no goals and no calculations. Right. Um, because then he says that those who have goals and those who have calculations are half adventurers. And then he goes on to say that Rudolf Steiner is a true adventurer, right? So, so this is supposed to be his example of a true adventurer. And then I got to asking questions through reading the short story. Um, if calculating, right, if the term calculating is taken to mean analyzing or estimating or hypothesizing, then can Rudolph really be deemed a true adventurer since he contemplated what might be behind the door when he actually found it? He if was you take it to the extreme, yeah, if you take it to the extreme, then, then yes. I, I, I don't think there's, according to O. Henry's definition, of somebody who does not have an aim or a goal, I don't think you're ever going to find that. I think that would be, you know, the most ideal, and you don't ever reach the most ideal. Um, so if you ever have a second thought as an adventurer, or if you ever have some kind of notion of thought of should I or shouldn't I, then you've lost half your you've adventure. You've lost it, yeah. And that's what that was my next thing was, is Rudolph a true adventurer? Uh, if in the story he goes into the green door and the girl faints into his arms, right? And he lays her down on the couch and turns out she hasn't eaten in three days and that's why she fainted. Then he sets out to go buy her groceries. Has right. he just lost half his adventure by setting out to go buy her to groceries? To do something. He and had a point. It's a it's a very difficult different def, uh, yeah, a very difficult definition to fulfill as a true adventurer. Yeah, when you, you don't live it ever out. have a goal. So and, once you have a goal, then you're done. Yeah, and that's what I was getting at is is once you come up with a purpose, you've lost it. And you can't truly live a fully adventurous life much like you can't live a truly relativistic life. You know, there's there's many things in connection there like um you can't say I'm going to go through life without any goals because you've just set a goal. Right. Yeah, and exactly. It, and you've ruined your adventure. To full, to fill on the story a little bit more, so the guy goes in search of the green door because of the card. Um and he finds this uh apartment building and eventually he finds a green door and he connects that to the sign and then he goes in and finds this uh girl or woman that's starving that that hasn't been out that hasn't eaten and and he takes it upon himself to talk with her to spend time with her and to feed her yeah and i think he was falling in love with her as well uh, yes and and that goes along uh with the adventure part of 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 romance and and not necessarily 
love romance, but yeah. it, it ties into that as well. But that, and, and O. Henry may say that love is a true adventure. But at the same time, if, if, if anybody has a, a, the, a realistic, practical love, it's nowhere near aimless. Yeah, that's exactly true. You know, love is not aimless, and it's not just leaving yourself up to chance on that. Which brings me to the next question. So, um, there's this idea intermingled in the story, and is in many stories, like you just said. Any story of adventure has this idea of fate, of a predetermined destiny, which this person was created for, or whatever belief system one may come from, they are destined for this end, right? Uh, so determinism, as a philosophical system, assumes that every event has a predecessing event. Like, he woke up, he went to the street, there was the guy handing out the card, which you find out later why he was handing out a thing that says the green door, it was not necessarily some miraculous fate, right? Uh, it was just a normal man handing out uh, cards for a play. Called the Green Door. And that's, and that's another thing that O'Henry's known for is his twists at the end of his stories. And so I find it interesting that O'Henry, so William Sidney Porter, is writing... And I'm wondering how much of this is actually born from his own experience because in his history, he was arrested for embezzling after he got fired at a bank because he stunk at being a banker. Uh, He was arrested for embezzling. He was bailed out by like his father, his father-in-law or something. And like a week or so before the trial, he ran away to Honduras where he became good friends with a well-known outlaw at the time. Uh, And then... His wife gets sick, and so that uh, quote-unquote fateful event is what led to him turning himself in. Uh, And then after he was released in 1902, he starts writing short stories. And so his life was left up to, I mean, he just ran away, and he didn't know where he was going. So I think a lot of that has to do with it, but also this belief in determinism. So if every event has a predecessor, it also means that future events are as fixed and unalterable as the past is fixed and unalterable. So the future has no ambiguous possibilities uh, hidden in it, and the part that we deem the present is just simply a compatible time or compatible time with what's called totality or the whole of life. And so the present cannot be compartmentalized from the past nor the future. And it's part of the determined whole. And so all that to say, what he's saying is all these different things that happened led him to where he was supposed to be, whether they were miraculous so or not. So as an onlooker that knows this story, and, and you're watching this guy take the cards, and you're thinking, you see the sign that clearly says the green door is a play. And you're clearly thinking this guy yeah. is, is mistaken or an idiot for thinking it's anything else. But... but Oh, Henry's reality is that the the true deterministic future is that he was always meant to find that woman through the green door, d- d- despite there actually being a play called the green door. 
Yes. And so, you know, that whole philosophy of determinism is a legitimate philosophy that people have toward life. And, um, you know, in Christian circles, of course, that understanding of determinism is usually credited to Calvinism. Um, but they're not exactly one and the same, uh, because that view of Calvinism, it leaves room for freedom of the will to an extent. O. Henry is writing from a purely deterministic philosophical view of fate that uh, basically for something miraculous to happen, it doesn't take miraculous things to make miraculous events transpire. And so the guy handing out a card that says the green door is nothing miraculous or supernatural He's just handing out cards like he was told to do and paid to do for like a right. dollar. You know, he's just handing them out. It's this guy took it and ran with it. And in his mind, he's on this adventure and it led him to his end that he was supposed well, it's to It's interesting. At the, at the same time, so Rudolf Steiner does something with the card that wasn't necessarily intended. But let's say somebody else got the Green Door card, went to the play, and it changed their life. That would also be a branch of determinism. But then but then Rudolph also thought in his mind, what if other people got the card that said Green Door and they come and meet the girl? I don't want them to come meet the girl. And so he makes up a story about why he came and he lies to her. Uh, and so it's, it's a really interesting view of determinism. Uh, and I do believe in a level of determinism in life. Like, I got to where I am because of events that happened in the past. You know, the reason we're doing this podcast right now is because of events that transpired in the past. I didn't get into Mobile, the University of Mobile, for those who don't know. I didn't get into Mobile the first try. I got in my second try, which was in 2007. Right, yep, that was that the year. year that was? So I failed community college before I ever got to Mobile. Uh, and then we were placed in the same hallway across from one another. Uh, we were placed in what's called the same RAMFAM group, which is essentially just your orientation group. Um, I couldn't understand a word Jared said because he was so country. Uh, and then, you know, over the years, you actually hung out more in the beginning with my roommate, John Andrew. Um and then John Andrew moved off. We kept hanging out. We hung out a good bit more. And then over the years, you know, it's just progressed from these little events taking place to where we are now. Uh, and I, that's how I view life is a lot of change. Right. Past but there's events. also a fine line, I guess, between viewing it as fate and viewing it as coincidence that just has consequences tied to it. So. Mm-hmm. And I think, and that's where I, I have to ask internally, are there coincidences? Right. You see, am I, am I more deterministic than I actually realize? Um, and I think uh, part of me is a good bit more deterministic than I originally thought I was, but there is still that element of there is free will, but like you said, it has... Uh, consequential results. You know, it's got things that um, that take place 
because of that. And then that shapes the future. And so this this idea, I want to know what your idea of this is, or your thoughts on this. This idea that future events are as fixed and unalterable as the past is fixed and unalterable. What do you think about that? I, initially, I, I disagree. Now, I might change my mind, but I disagree. Um, because... Gosh, because of a general general free will. <laughs> now, speaking from within Christianity, and, and um, you'll hear us talk about this quite a bit because we're both Christians, um, yeah. there is a sense of predetermined salvation and other spiritual things. Biblical. Well, biblical, biblical we'd call it predestination. And, but but there is also the the sense or the parallel free will that you are also responsible for your actions, and your actions have yeah, consequences. Exactly. Which is also a big argument in determinism: is what do you do with moral responsibility? You know, it's just one of those things that these are things that people argue over and. So, you know, when I think about this kind of determinism, I get to thinking about different kinds of movies and books that that maybe have this kind of view in it. Uh, Any time travel movie, it's all about altering the past in order to what? Alter the future. If you kill that ant, you're going to wipe out this whole civilization. uh, You know, so um, Marty McFly going back. uh, Ray Bradbury, A Sound of Thunder. That's... uh, that's a good short <laughs> go. story for the the idea of the butterfly effect that and, yeah. and, and in time not necessarily in in space in area you know the the yes. butterfly effect in in space is that a butterfly flap will eventually create a hurricane on the other side of the world because of cause and effect Yes, and so the other movie that they, I've seen referenced a good bit on determinism is Groundhog right. Day with Bill Murray. Because there's there's and he just something keeps reliving that you the have same to day. do to escape the relived day. Yeah, <laughs> to escape your to, to go on to move on because in your you fate. Because you haven't done there's some action that must take what place. the future has already fixed. Yes, and so it's one of those like. Thinking about determinism, looking at these movies that are meant to just be silly movies, they're not that silly. Like Groundhog Day is a comedy that we watched in high school, and not there's no pun intended. We watched it over and over again, um, <laughs> but we we watched Groundhog Day, and it's like it was just to get us through right before Thanksgiving holiday. But now going back and looking at it, I'm like, my gosh, mind blown. This is what it's talking about. So every movie has something that it's trying to put forth, even unintentionally. I don't know that Groundhog Day is wanting to say, this is determinism. I think it's wanting to say, he's got to get right. through this day. But, and, but there's do whatever also, it is. there also but, has to be some kind of lesson, too. And yeah, and I think whether yeah. it be subconscious or conscious, there's also there there's always some action that's you know, called good or whatever, good karma or whatever that you have to do to, to move on. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, the movie that I found that I, uh, that one, I, I just read, I just, we just talked about this before we recorded, but uh, I just read this whole article about the deeper meanings of signs by M. Night Shyamalan. And 
Jarek can scoff if he wants to, but M. Night Shyamalan is seriously one of my favorite oh, I like directors. Um, I, I love him. And I think it's because of the same reason I love O. Henry is the endings are always something you go, well, my gosh, look at that ending. I don't want to spoil it, but if you haven't seen, what's his newest movie? Do you Split. remember what that's called? It, Split. The ending of that movie took the movie from about a seven to a ten, in my view. Just because, and I'm not right. spoiling anything so people can go watch it, just because of how it tied into different movies he had made before. Like, it blew my mind that, you know, it was a good movie. And then the ending comes, you're like, oh my gosh. It's like, if they haven't seen this by now, it's their fault. When you find out Bruce Willis is dead the entire time, that just changed right. the whole movie. Uh, but the one about determinism, signs, uh, Bruce Willis, Joaquin Phoenix, some little Culkin kid, and Abigail Breslin. I'm not sure which Culkin that is. I that may know. be Kieran. Um, but Abigail Breslin's in it. Basically, the priest's wife dies, and now he's struggling with faith, right? So um, Abigail Breslin, who's described as holy and an angel and all these different things, she keeps leaving water around the house in glasses, which if you have kids, that's not anything weird. I think I probably have half-drank water bottles all around my house right now. Like, they're everywhere. They never finish them. There's half-drunk, half uh, half-drunk, half-drank. I can't get my grammar correct, but half already. <laughs> there it is again. <laughs> What's the word? <laughs> drunken, Drink, drinking, 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 <laughs> drinked. Um, you know, those Capri Suns and stuff like that, they're all over the house. So basically, if some sort of creature were to come in the house, I could take them out. Uh, but she's leaving water around, and it seems just like a little quirk. But then we should have known better because M. Night Shyamalan just doesn't have people with quirks. There's always something about that person. Then uh, that Culkin kid, Kieran or whoever, he has breathing issues, like asthma, and he's got to have the inhaler, and that leads them toward the ending. So him having this attack wasn't something just random. It was part of the determined fate. Her leaving water around the house was part of the determined fate. Joaquin Phoenix's character struggles with like a failed baseball career and has basically a loss of faith in himself, though I don't think he ever says he follows God or anything. Um, but he gains that faith back after he swings away, which is one of my favorite lines in a movie, swing away, Merle. Um and then the priest is struggling with faith after the death of his wife and finds himself at this predetermined crossroads, which some are saying it's not aliens, it's demons, which if you find that article, it's interesting. But basically what this movie puts forth is there are no individual paths necessarily. There's simply interwoven paths that cross toward the same predetermined ending. And this particular case was presumed to be God's particular ending for the priest to uh, embrace his faith again. So it's one of those things that now, thinking about it, it's not just like a teenager scary movie. It was a whole thing on determinism, which I found very interesting, you know, looking at all that. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things that I wonder in that movie, are they adventurers in the eyes of O. Henry? Because they really didn't know what their yeah, ending was going to be. And another movie that M. Night Shyamalan does this in is Lady in the Water, um, where it's... 
not necessary. It's it's more predetermined roles than uh, what what science is, and so it's this idea of these these people in order to return the lady in the water in order to uh, defend against the enemy. Um, trying to guess what their role is because there's they know the roles by name, but they don't know who goes to what, and so they self-identify with a, a role, but that ends up being wrong. And so they slowly learn their true predetermined role, and it's not initially what they thought. Yeah, and that's, you know, this is just, I told you, we're not going to get to the second <laughs> short story we wanted to get to today. Um, so that whole talk on determinism, that's all good. But what did we have next? We had... Uh, the question of who's yeah, a real adventurer, yeah, so is that what we had? We're just going to go with O. Henry's definition right now. So, of fictional, non-fictional, real-life characters, who would he consider a true adventurer? Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. <laughs> he had, there's no point in the movie, there's no purpose to what he does. He is constantly just enamored with himself. Right, and he just kind of goes where life takes him. So I, I would say Napoleon Dynamite, um, but he loses it though. He loses his adventure halfway through the movie, as he's trying to get the girl to right. go to the dance yep. with him, um, and then trying to get Pedro elected as president. So even Napoleon, who didn't have any point whatsoever in the first half of the movie, loses the adventure uh, in the in the story. Forrest Gump. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I think him and Napoleon in many ways I, yeah, are alike. They're so. just oblivious so to what's Forrest going on. Forrest Gump always just kind of falls into the right place at the right time. And like, yes, so I can't, I'm, I'm trying to go back to the movie and remember it in order. So college football star. I mean, as, as far as, as far uh, well, as his. Yeah. He's right. bullied first. He's running away from bullies, so he got yes. good at running, right? How did he, he end up in He just ran across college? the field when he was running away from somebody, and so... That's right. He was being bullied, so ran just, across the so field. He didn't mean to, right? He didn't try out or anything. He was just running away. Um, no. But Bear Bryant, Bear Bryant, the genius he was, Roll Tide knew that Forrest right. needed to be on that team. <laughs> So he, so he, he becomes field, this right? college football all star. Accidentally, and just and he just goes with it. Then he joins, joins the, military, the military, becomes and meets. Well, he meets right. Bubba first, who tells him about his shrimping idea. Yeah, you see, like this is determinism. All of that tells him about the shrimping idea. Does the whole speech on bull shrimp, steam shrimp. <laughs> Shrimp of potatoes, all that stuff. Uh, they meet Lieutenant Dan, who hates both of them, kind of like Sergeant Carter hates Gomer Pyle and Gomer Pyle USMC. That whole thing going on. Uh, Bubba obviously dies. Forrest gets shot in the butt and sent home. Well, which, be- by the way, that, is one of so, the funniest so things. <laughs> he he becomes he becomes a hero, a, a military hero. Because he because he saves yes by people. saving all those people um and so maybe you can consider that a go because he was only looking for Bubba to save Bubba and then he 
Yeah, well, he he explicitly said, <laughs> "I gotta find Bubba." But I think, <laughs> although he has small goals here and there, I think overall you could probably call him a true adventurer, according to o. Henry. Um, he sub has goals. sub goals yeah. within his his no goal, running. like his running. That was, that pure, was I think that, that was, was the adventure. adventure. Yeah. He lost his adventure only when he said, I'm kind of tired. Right. I think I'll go home now. Like, that's the only Which moment he I'm, lost I've adventure been to in that, that whole spot. segment. It is in the middle of nowhere. Like, what a place. What a oh, place really? to decide to go home. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no. nothing there to go. No. You should go home. Oh, he just was running. So I think that particular part of the movie, in O. Henry's definition, is pure adventure. Just... I yeah. went running. He didn't say I'm trying to mm-hmm. get anywhere. He just was running. Um, now, if that was to escape his mother's death or whatever, well, that's, I think I think that's a, a side in really subconscious goals and you know. Yes, it's not right. a determined, calculated goal. Uh, so yeah, Forrest Gump would be a good example of that. Um, what was next in our little? Um, well, I have a couple. I think we talked about Pippin. Was it Pippin? Right. Oh yeah, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. He just kind of yeah, yeah. Well, both of them really kind of tag along just because it seems like something to do. I told you, I think they're not true adventurers because their goal is to find second (laughs) all the time. All the time after the next. Which, by the way. I'm pretty sure that's my goal in life is to find second breakfast. <laughs> I'm always looking for it. And then elevensies yeah. and lunch. Uh, lunch and supper or tea. dinner and supper. Afternoon tea. Um, <laughs> um, Why don't we what do about, afternoon tea? Okay, so if you've read or watched Into the Wild, Christopher McCandless. I haven't. That's okay. on my Netflix list. Watch I haven't, that. I haven't watched I that. I think he might be considered a true adventurer. He, he is trying to escape something and his his goal is to get to alaska but on his way to alaska is more of the aimless true adventure stuff he's just is that is that emil yes. hirsch okay he's the guy from lords of Dogtown. uh so yeah i need to watch that i have not watched that one yet is there any other ones you can think of that you would think pure it's it's adventure? hard because i think when you get down to it i mean like the rugrats Oh heck yeah, dude! They just and do whatever so really, comes up. It's when I thought about it, it was just a bunch of kids <laughs> playing games. What a true, yeah, what well, a true adventure! What's funny? Is. So, if you go back and watch Rugrats, the like the references to literature to movies are hilarious. I had not gone back in a very long. Back. There's references to the, reference to the Godfather, which is. Angelica is the Don. I mean, it is so funny. Um, there are some good stuff in that one. But yeah, I would say that Tommy Pickles is the true adventurer. Or really, Chucky is the true adventurer because Tommy has a goal. Chucky's just yeah. tagging along. But that, and he's but dragging that him along you with it. odd when, one, pretending to be an adventurer is more of a true adventurer than the actual adventurer. Now there's a thought. And also, tagging tagging along yeah. is more adventurous than the the leader. Yeah, setting out setting out to do it. Yeah, that's something interesting there. I'm trying to think of any other examples of just a pure adventurer. 
I said Don Quixote because he just is basically dressed in knight's yeah. clothes. Another one armor. I thought about was Holden Caulfield in Catcher in the Rye. And he's he's just kicked out of yeah. school and he's just wandering around pretty much. Now, what about Owen Meany? His goal is to just right. do his fate, right? Between him, between him so is, and, and accomplishing his fate, because he is basically waiting on the fate to happen. So maybe. So he's just, you see, like, is wanting to accomplish what destiny has for you is that a goal that goes against this view, or is that? The only true goal for a true that's, adventurer. That's a good question. Because that uh, that final goal of fulfilling your fate allows you to be aimless in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. and so this like it's not a it's not a search for money or a search for riches or the girl or anything. It's just I need to do what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And everything in life is going to lead me to that point. And the way you described Owen Meany and what I saw in Simon Birch, which I know they don't line up perfectly, but like that was his thing was I don't have any other Mm -hmm. destiny, but this one destiny, I'm going to get there. I'm going to be a hero, but not because I desire to be a hero, but because I'm destined to be one and I'm going to get there somehow. And so if that's a true adventurer, I think it's that possible. could actually yeah, fit in like with it. with O. Henry's view. So if you disagree with O. Henry's view on that front, who is, well, in your eyes, like the epitome of an adventurer? So mine's Jared no, Wallace that's Carter. True. That's the epitome. <laughs> mine mine is Frodo Baggins. Frodo Baggins. Uh, yeah, I would agree because even though he's weak, even though in the movie he falls down every three feet, um, only you know he's the only one who can take that ring, and everybody still be with him because if the if the dwarves do it, they're fighting. If the elves do it, they're fighting. If the men do it, they're fighting. But Frodo is kind of like this central figure that everybody can get behind, sort yeah. of in a way. Well, <laughs> so, but he has this final destination he has this goal Uh, he all he has to do is get the ring to mordor and toss it into the volcano but it takes a long time and every single day he's faced with some kind of obstacle that he has to overcome so yeah with saying that i would say a true adventurer has to have a goal yeah i i would actually agree with that that there needs to be in a, a, a goal for an adventurer because I think there's a difference between like an adventurer and a vagabond. Whereas a vagabond is just wandering aimlessly through mm-hmm. the life, right? Uh, just kind of going from point A to point B without really considering what's going on in between there. An adventurer is literally like setting out to accomplish right. something. Um, and so that's where I would disagree with O'Henry big time. I, I don't necessarily disagree on all fronts with the determinism, but the um, that sense of not having calculations, just I don't think you can really call that half adventure or you're going to have to take out every adventure story you've right. ever read. 
you're going to have to take out somebody at some point as a half adventurer. Um, and and I, like I've already said, even Rudolph in the Green Door is not a true adventurer because he loses right. it at some point. He lies so that he can maintain the girl. He uh, She faints, and so he decides to go and get her groceries. He plans to stay for dinner, and he also plans to come right. back the next day so and spend time with her. So his goal becomes to nurse her back to health, pretty much. Yeah, to take care of her, uh, which I think is much more adventurous than him just grabbing a right. ticket from a guy on the street. Uh, and so that's where I would I would absolutely agree that I think an adventurer, a true adventurer, does so have do a goal. So you have a working uh, definition for either true adventure or true adventurer? True adventure or true adventurer? Er. Um, I don't really have a working definition. I could try to come up with one. I mean, I think it's pretty much just anyone who sets out to accomplish what they've set as their own goal. Um, no matter what circumstances arise. So people who basically overcome uh, whatever trials or temptations come their way to achieve what they are supposed to achieve is an adventure in my eyes. So here's what I have, um, and this is more about the event than the person, um, is that there is a, a change, a challenge, and then another change. And so... The change comes in the change of circumstance. You know, you're, you're one person or somebody is forced to, ha- has their situation changed? So let's talk yeah. about, since we're talking about Frodo, let's talk about Frodo. Um, he has the ring. He was very Frodo. comfortable. Super he comfortable. He was very comfortable yeah. with his life. So. Uh, Bilbo, Bilbo leaves. Right. That's the change, the, the right? Big, That's the well, big the big change, change yeah, is Bilbo leaves. Bilbo and leaves. He comes yeah. across the ring, right? And and that whole situation yeah. is explained. The challenge is to get the ring to Mordor, right? I mean, that's yeah. just simple. But and then there's l- a lot of little challenges in between. The change comes yes. in the change of person after the thing is accomplished. Yeah, yeah. So, do you think that? Tolkien wrote with determinism in Lord of the Rings since in The Hobbit it all started when Bilbo went into a cave, got lost, fell down in some like nasty waters being creeped out by this little dude named uh, Gollum or Smeagol, whatever you want to call him. Uh, He stumbles upon a ring that he in in the pitch black dark he can't see anything. He stumbles on a ring Holds the ring, wins a game of yeah, <laughs> these riddle, little, what riddle are those game. called? Uh, riddles, riddle games. Makes it back home. Here comes the next story that's based off of past events that cannot be altered. He leaves because his age is he's unaging because he has that ring that he found in the dark in the cave, and then he's unaging. He's ready to end it because he's feeling stretched thin, is what he says, and so he. He puts the ring, passes it down to Frodo, who comes to Bilbo because of events that happened in his I family. I think you can argue both sides. One, one might just be that's just history. You know, that's just recording the events that go. happened to lead up to this point. So then, the alterableness of the story would be if Frodo had not right. taken the ring and had let somebody right. else do that. 
But was that ever going to happen? It, it doesn't seem like that because Gandalf was very made sure that it was Frodo. Yes, and so I think that Tolkien wrote a lot with deterministic views, um, which his view may just be based off his views of Christianity as well. I'm not sure. And there's there's also um, I guess just being hopeful that good will always win, and so you write yeah. accordingly. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a major element of adventure stories is that the good wins, and that basically what's determined in the end is that yeah. the good will win, which is I think in essence the hope of every human in the world is that whatever happens, the yeah. good will triumph. So what do we have next? Anything? So because that, yeah, was that a is lot. a lot. So let's talk about <laughs> adventure books. Um, yeah, yeah. Top five adventure books. Top five adventure books. How many Lord so of the Rings here's, books are there? <laughs> here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to list <laughs> off three because we've just talked about these, and we can talk about these forever. But since we've already talked yeah. about them, I'm just going to list them off without going into them too much. Um, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, um, which yeah. Harry Potter goes on a quest with... Uh, Hermione and Ron to find the Horcruxes mm-hmm. in the Deathly Hallows. Um, Voyage of the Dawn yeah. Treader. Um, they're they're hopping from island to island to find the Lost Kings. Um, yes. And then Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I would say. If, can I just do book <laughs> yeah, series? Because I, mean, I mean, seriously, the Harry Potter book series, every one of them, I think, are just fantastic adventures, um, but. Book one leads to the yes. last book. That's a predetermined <laughs> ending. Well, we're also events. talking about writers who know the last, you know. <laughs> yes, they know. They have a right. story arc. You know, they have this thing. So so all the Harry Potter books is one adventure. All the Chronicles of Narnia is one adventure. All the Lord of the Rings and yeah. Hobbit and whatever else little tales he throws in there, one adventure. Um there was another one I had. Now I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, oh, things like right. the Odyssey. I had that on my list. By Homer. And, and the um, Odyssey is really a precursor to almost every adventure we have right now. Yes. Um, but also, I cannot remember. I think it's called Jason and the Golden Fleece. Is that what it's called? Or Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, the story about a guy who's trying to find a golden fleece. If you've okay. never read it. You need to find that. It's along the same lines as the Odyssey. Um, but I had another one, too. No, nope, so that's just a remake of the this Odyssey. One, oh, Brother Rory, yeah. that was just a remake this of the Odyssey. This one has in name, uh, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Oh, yes. Well, uh, just go on and throw Tom Sawyer, Tom Sawyer yeah. in there as well. Uh, so basically, those two, that's just fun adventure right there. Um, I'm trying to think. In a different way, okay, so the book I'm reading right now is Natchez Burning. Uh, I'm on page 517 of 790. Um, so this book is not an adventure that he set out to get on uh, because basically, like you said, and I think your definition is exact, a change happened, right? Right. There's this challenge that's come up. So the change is that this man's father is accused of murdering a woman. Um, The challenge is he's got to prove his father's innocence. 
And what's going on within this challenge is more challenges because in proving his father's innocence, he's actually going to be proving the guilt of men during the civil rights era who murdered. I mean, they, they were in charge of murdering all these people. Uh, and in fact, it goes on to say that basically they had plotted to murder uh, Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. Um, very fascinating book. I don't know how it ends yet. And so I'm still in the midst of the challenge, but I'm already noticing after each challenge, he's right. changed personally. And so I would say that right now, and I'm not just using hyperbole, this is one of the best awesome. books I've I'll ever read, read in my life. Um, there is some explicitness to the book. That's something that I get a little uncomfortable with explicit things. Some some of our listeners may not. I do. Um, but it does tie into the story, if that makes sense. Like, you wouldn't have the rest of the story if you didn't have gotcha. the certain event yeah. that took place. Um, so very good book. So that's, that's one I would definitely recommend to people who want to read something similar to that is Natchez Burning by Greg um. Miles. But um, it, what gets me is so according to the Green Door, any book by Jules Verne is not an adventure story. Is out. So yeah, I'll out. just use Around the World in Eighty Days as an example because clearly he has a goal to get around the world in eighty days, which is supposed to be which is supposed to be one of the epitome right. of adventure books in the world. And so, <laughs> oh Henry, that yeah. guy's out. I don't, I don't agree. So I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll just list, I think I have two more. So The Princess Bride, um, <laughs> which I love, the movie and the book. You, you killed my father. And um. The Lost World uh, by Arthur Conan Doyle. The, 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 not, oh, the, not, not the, the Lost Jurassic World. Park, Lost World. Jurassic Park. It, it, this one's the precursor <laughs> to Jurassic Park because they find this plateau in, I think, Venezuela that has dinosaurs yeah. on it because it's so isolated. Um, yeah. Oh, nice. I haven't read that. I'm going to need to read that now. That sounds pretty cool. Um, hold on. I'm looking back at my books to see if there's any other ones. Oh. Not, not I mean. Redwall. Did you ever read <laughs> Redwall? I never read Redwall. That what is. What is that? So it's Brian Jacques, and it's about like rodents and stuff, like talking, talking mice and rats and foxes and badgers and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, they have like their own abbeys, and one of them, the Red Wall, is about this. <laughs> so it's British. One of them is this, yeah, this mouse that is defending his abbey against um, this Clooney, this scavenger, or something, something like that. Anyway. Um, I guess an invading army, um, and he goes out to search for Martin's sword. So he's this ancient mouse warrior. I'm just trying to remember all of it. And and he his his goal is to find this sword and protect the Abbey. Sorry, my brain just went to like a punk band getting up, going, "Hey, we're mouse warrior. <laughs> Let's rock." <laughs> it's like Mouse yeah. Rat on Parks and Rec. Um, <laughs> anyway, what <laughs> do we have another segment or was um, that it? I think that's it. That's it. Well, that's the green door. We did not make it to the second short story. Um maybe we'll pick that one up later. Uh, do we know what we're gonna do next? Did we ever say what uh, we're Jekyll doing? Jekyll and Hyde. Was it Jekyll and Hyde? Jekyll and Hyde is what we're gonna do next. 
Um, so, Jared, <laughs> one of the things that we have forgotten every week. I almost forgot it just now. We're, we're, we're books and grounds, and we keep forgetting to talk about what coffee we're drinking or put forth some sort of coffee for people to check out. So, one, which one are you drinking? And two, if there's one that you have that you think people need to try out or a coffee shop that people need to try out if they're ever in that certain area, um, just let them know that. So, right I'm now. so drinking, drinking? Uh, a lot roast from uh, Kamano Island Coffee Roasters. So this is from Buzzbox Coffee Coffee Service that does the mail-in. Yeah, I've heard of that. Um, and so it's a Papua New Guinea light roast. Um, and it's really good, and it checks all the boxes of fair trade and organic and shade grown. Yeah, so they need to uh, get a Buzzbox yeah, account. Is that yeah. what I'm hearing? So, Buzzbox, if you're listening, we will take money. <laughs> this was free of charge. Uh, I was also drinking a fair trade organic coffee from Newman's Own, mostly <laughs> known mostly for their salad dressings, um, and. I mean, it was okay. It's it's a functional coffee, if that makes sense. It does sense. the job. It does the job. I'm awake and getting a little jittery. Uh, I will say that I may have brewed it wrong because I was using a Keurig, and I think I may have selected the wrong cup size. So when I drank it, it it is what I think if an ashtray was left out in the rain um, and water filled up in the ashtray and mixed in together with the ashes and you drank it, I think that's what... Uh, it would have just tasted like. Uh, but I was thinking about a different type of coffee that I had, and it was called Red Eye Roasters. Um, I believe it's out of Massachusetts, so the Boston area. I had their, it was either Ethiopian or Rwandan coffee, and I got this a while back. And you can go to their website at redeyeroasters.com uh, and order their stuff online. I'm telling you, it's seriously some of the best coffee I've ever had in my life. It was the Ethiopian. Um, some of the best coffee I have ever had. It was, uh, it's one of those ones where the bitterness is not too bad, even though I love bitter. It's not too bad, but uh, I mean, just all around best tasting coffees. It's it's in my top five. So I would say let's check out redeyeroasters.com and also check out, what is it, Buzzbox? Buzz yeah. Is it, is it buzzbox.com? Uh, Buzzbox Coffee we'll find- or something like that. Yeah. Google um, it. Uh, and so, yeah, what do you got? I'll recommend a coffee shop to you. So, uh, Karma's okay. uh, Coffee Shop uh, in Coleman, Alabama. So, if you're in yeah. North Alabama or if you are going to Gulf Shores from anywhere north of Alabama and you're going down 65, it's right off the interstate, uh, like exit 308 or something like that, if you just want to stop by um, on your way down to the beach. Now, before we get off this subject, um, we've talked a little bit about the magazine that you wrote for in Mobile, uh, Bellum Creative, right? Um, Now, has there... Has Christian opened up the coffee shop yes. yet? Yes, they just opened it, but in a new location, uh, oh. too. I'm not exactly sure where. Yes. Did they? Okay, so what's the name of that one? Do you remember? Uh, Shalor. I'm trying to find it. See, Shalor. What, huh? Shal- Make Shalor. Make sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. I don't know. Shalor, Shalor. Let's see. C-H-A-L-E-U-R. Coffee. Okay, there we go. 
Uh, I'm looking at their Twitter right now. You can actually find it at at Shalur Coffee, C-H-L-E-U-R Coffee. Um, it's in Mobile. Uh, it looks it's, it's wonderful. A, I mean, the, awesome. the shop so looks Mobile's, amazing. As far as I'm concerned, it's Mobile's only third wave coffee shop. So what is a third wave coffee shop? I think it has shop? to do with, so the first wave was like the bulk coffee. You know, once coffee came really um, commercial, so vultures will be the first wave. Yes. Second wave is your specialty coffees like Starbucks. So Starbucks will be your, your second wave. And now it's kind of gone into this expertise of coffee, kind of going Like artisanal, artisanal coffee? coffee? Yeah. Okay. Oh, here we go. So, Third Way Coffee, I just looked it up. I love Wikipedia. A movement to produce high-quality coffee and consider coffee as artisanal food stuff like wine rather than a, just a commodity. Right. Okay. I like that. So, so it's similar to micro-brewing yes. Yes. beer. It's micro-roasting. Um, so, that's good. So, Shalur Coffee, go to at Shalur Coffee uh, on Twitter. Find them, add them, uh, and then also add Bellum Creative. I don't remember what Bellum Creative's thing is. Is it at Bellum Creative? I'm not sure. Um, BellumCreative.com is their website. Um, that's the website? And they... I'm looking up right now. their next issue should be out pretty soon. I'm looking up their... Um, it's at... Wait, is that it? I don't want to give you the wrong one. <laughs> Let me go it click it. Oh, that ain't it. Oh, boy. i got to get off done. this site fast. Okay. I don't know what that was, but basically just look up Bellum Creative. You said BellumCreative.com, and it's B-E-L-L-U-M, Creative.com. Check that out. Uh, we would appreciate it if you support them because they support Jared and Short Stories, and uh, I really like their ideas that they have. So if you would, just check those out. Anything else? Uh, I don't have anything. Nothing else. All right. Well, that was episode three. Uh, sorry it took so long because I had a family vacation and I was enjoying that one. And uh, hopefully it won't take as long for the next one to come out. Sounds, Sounds good, good, Jared? All right. Well, we'll see you guys later. Thank you for joining us on Books and Grounds.